Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The Journey, a 16-week odyssey of grit, determination, endurance, and will, where the weak are exposed and the strong revered. From Bleed Entertainment, this is Falcon's Flight. Insights and analysis on your Atlanta Falcons. Now, here's Robert Taylor and your host, Brian Giffen. Yeah, that's us. This is Falcon's Flight. It is edition number 26. Brian Giffen, indeed, with Robert Taylor. Everybody is back in the house today, and it's great to say that. And we remind you that Falcon's Flight is a presentation of Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. Do you believe? We certainly do. And if you enjoy the show, which we know you do, rate us, share us, like us, and make sure people are aware. If you follow the Atlanta Falcons, if you follow the NFL in general, you're going to get good content right here. Before we dive into this, a quick word from our sponsor, Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NBA is in full swing and college basketball heats up as schools make their way to the madness. The tournament is coming, and so is the $100,000 Bracket Madness Contest, as Bet Online is the spot to be for all your bracketology needs. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's your best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Well, as mentioned, Brian Giffen, Robert Taylor, back in the house. This is edition number 26, and we are on the verge, Robert, of the offseason really beginning to heat up in terms of personnel now, as far as adding personnel, that is. I guess we'll touch first on the fact that they've done their share of subtracting here lately. A lot of moves have been made. The Falcons are in a precarious spot in terms of the salary cap, as anybody who follows the franchise knows. And the movement we've seen, which has been fairly extensive to this point, certainly is not over. No, I mean, that's why it's exciting to be a Falcons fan right now because every morning that you wake up, there's probably going to be some new news, and we'll get into some players they've cut, but I guess some administrative moves you might want to call this that they've made recently is they did part ways with Kevin Winston. He's their VP of Player Affairs, and he was for 15 seasons. So that kind of right there gives you an indication that I don't want to say the term no one's job is safe, but that's kind of true. Like, they're really going to start cleaning house and really evaluating every position, including the quarterback position, including the wide receiver position. Terry Fontenot and Arthur both have said they would be open to bringing in more of both those positions. Now, don't get nervous. Matt Ryan and Julio <laughs> are safe, I'm pretty sure. Now, if you ask June Jones, Matt Ryan's contract is still tradable. He was on Fox News, and the Bears keep coming up. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but we're going to blink, and it's going to be spring camp, you know, or mini camps coming up. So I'm excited. I don't know how everybody else feels, but only time will tell. And you know me, I'm not the guy to get into the hypotheticals or anything. So I'm kind of a let's see what happens every morning and follow the news guy. 
Well, the new league year begins on St. Patrick's Day. That's better than April Fool's Day, I guess. But the new league year begins on St. Patrick's Day. And as it stands, the floor on the salary cap has been established. That's $180 million. As they sit today, they're somewhere in the $15 million area over that threshold. And, of course, the TV deals, which are still being negotiated, will set what the actual salary cap is. Now, the salary cap in 2020 was $198.2 million. Speculation is it'll be significantly less because, you know, you had lower TV ratings, you had all the losses of revenues by television, everything else. You had ratings drops across the board for the league generally, one of the most poorly rated Super Bowls since 30 years ago. So they've got some things to work on. And that's kind of the gorilla in the room. I think everybody knows why the ratings dropped. They just It's a sensitive topic, and nobody wants to talk about it. But if you ask me, it's the politics that have kind of bled into the game a little too much. And we were saying this before we went on air. The NFL, for a lot of people like myself, I can remember growing up as and being a young man and had a Sunday routine. I got up, and I know this sounds terrible, but I drove down to the local McDonald's, and I got a couple of Big Macs and a big thing of fries and a big soft drink, and I plopped down in my recliner, and I watched NFL all day yeah. not just the falcons i watched every game even between the games i was you know i was soaking it in and now my escape is i'm probably not unlike a lot of other people my escape has sort of been stolen from me because i can't turn on a football game now without being i don't want to say inundated I, I think i was for a while but i think the league is starting to realize that hey yeah we might want to dial it back a little bit with the politics because it's really i think it's irritating a lot of fans you know they don't feel like it's an escape anymore they feel like when they turn on a game it's still right there in front of them they gotta fix that i believe yeah i agree with you and i mean look regardless of where you stand on some of these things regardless of how you feel about some of these things people tune in to watch football they don't tune in to hear more of the stuff they're hearing on the news they're seeing on social they tune in to watch football the game is what made the ratings and the monster that the nfl is not all this other stuff and look there's plenty of places between social and all these other channels where you can basically pine for any cause that you have it doesn't have to happen when people want to watch football i just don't i've never understood why it has to creep in i get it's a huge platform i get that you've got millions and millions of eyes but the fact that you've put it there and have done it and put it there is driving a lot of those eyes away and that's not in the end what they're after absolutely and i've said it for a long time i'm not against players using their wealth and not their celebrity status to speak out against social injustices or worthy causes i'm all for it get on your personal twitter account your facebook page whatever social media you as a professional athlete may utilize and utilize it but keep it out of the locker room and keep it out between the lines. Keep it off the field. And I think a lot of people would come back to the fold or would watch the NFL again if they knew that when they turned a game on, they were just going to be entertained. That's why people watch it. They're these remarkable physical specimens yeah. making circus catches and crazy throws and you know great runs and yeah. tackles. And, and that's why you do it, to sort of turn your brain off from the pressures and the problems of the world. As, just as much as they are athletes, they are also entertainers. So I think your A number one job is to entertain us because we're buying the beers and the food and the jerseys and, yeah. and the programs Sweet. and the tickets. and all. We're doing that as fans. We pay a great portion of your comfortable salary. Yeah, I mean, the vast amount of money comes from TV. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. TV is – they're trying to double what they've been getting from these networks for rights fees. 
yet doing so in a time where the ratings have not been what they were when those deals were signed. You know, the Thursday night thing, this year, it'll happen because Fox is still under contract to do it, but they haven't found anybody to this point that even has an interest in carrying Thursday night football. And I'll tell you what else, I think Thursday night football, to a degree, has helped water down the product and overexpose the product in a way that, okay, almost every day you can turn on and there's a game now. And most of those Thursday games generally are pretty lame. And, you know, it throws off schedules and everything else to have a Thursday night game. So players oftentimes will play Sunday and come back and play Thursday. They're more apt to suffer injuries. I don't think the players would be excited about playing on Thursday. Yet, the league is talking, and they're beyond talking. They're going to extend the season by one game. It'll be a 17-game season in 2021. Speaking of cuts and ways that they're trying to get under that salary cap that we just talked about, they did part ways with James Carpenter, which shaved about $4 million off that. They parted ways with Ricardo Allen. They've parted ways with Allen Bailey. Surprisingly to myself and you, they didn't franchise tag Keanu Neal. They're going to yeah. let him get out of town, it seems. and he was, or at least test the water. Yeah, he'd kind of been a bright spot in that Falcons defense towards the end of the year, and it looks like he's recovered well from both those injuries that he had, but... You know, are they going to address that through the draft or free agency? I don't know. That's, I mean, that's one reason why the Falcons have slid as of late is drafting poorly in free agency. They just haven't utilized either one of those avenues well at all. Some people want to blame Matt Ryan's contract, but I don't think you can. I think those are two big beacons of failure <laughs> for the Atlanta yeah. Falcons. They have not drafted well. And historically, I mean, throughout the whole existence of the franchise, the Falcons have not really drafted well I mean they've had some home runs obviously in Julio Jones Matt Ryan Calvin Ridley some other defensive players over the years but that's something I think if the Falcons are going to be able to sustain winning seasons and play at a high level and compete they're going to have to draft better hopefully Arthur and Terry are a couple of draft gurus I hope that's what it turns out to be but I also want to speak out to those I would use the term ornery Atlanta fans give these guys time you can't judge them based off this first draft or first season Give them three, four seasons before you start grumbling and groaning, which I know is probably in Atlanta fan base. is probably <laughs> damn near impossible to have happen, but just let these guys do their jobs. That's why the Falcons hired them. That's why the Falcons paid them. And, hey, guess what? I'm not a GM in the NFL. I'm not a head coach in the NFL. I don't really know anything. Everything I say on this show is an opinion, and I hope everybody knows what that is. And an opinion that's wrought, though, from research and yeah. studying what's going on with these things. You know, it's hard to blame the fan base to a degree for being a little bit saltier, maybe, than a lot of other ones because of the way they have failed spectacularly when they've had these leads all the way back to that Super Bowl. And, of course, this last year was the front-page news element in this very topic, inventing new ways to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. You know, fans already hate it when you lose, but when you have a, a large lead and you're in a position to put somebody away and then you just go to sleep and you fail and no lead is safe, that's really frustrating. So from that standpoint, I don't blame the fans at all for being pretty salty. Well, I think sometimes, I mean, you can't blame them for sure. I mean, it's been tough. It's always been tough to be an Atlanta sports fan, but I think some of the biggest complainers or, you know, whatever you want to call them, because they have unrealistic expectations of Atlanta sports, you know, they want Bill Belichick. They want to be the Patriots and they want to win six Super Bowls. And You know, like Braves fans, they want Brian Snicker to be Joe Torre and they want to rattle off five World Series and win three of them. And it's like... You know how impossible that is? You know how, like, once in a lifetime that – what have the Yankees really done since Tory left? 
Not a lot. Won one World Series under Joe Girardi. What do you think is going to happen to the Patriots once Belichick decides he's done with football? Uh, What happened to him this year with him there? The elephant in the room, of course, is while you're trying to get under the cap, you would think based on cap numbers alone, for one thing, because they've restructured multiple times before in Matt Ryan's case, you're still going to punish yourself even if you do trade him somewhere. So that one doesn't appear too likely. Julio Jones, that's $23 million, I think, in the coming year. That's a pretty high salary cap number. I wouldn't totally rule out that maybe they'd make some kind of a deal involving Julio. And the reason I say that is that Calvin Ridley last year, in a season that saw Jones with multiple injuries and you know he only played in seven games, Ridley did emerge as a legit number one target. Is he a Hall of Famer like Jones? No. But he did emerge as a legit number one target in the offense. Without a doubt. And like I said earlier, you heard me say it, that both Fontenot and Arthur have said, hey, we're going to bring some more QBs in here. We're going to bring some more wide receivers in here. So I'll tell you this, I wouldn't be mad if they got rid of Julio. There's plenty of other top-tier talent out there via free agency in the draft. A guy I'll talk about a little later is a guy named Kenny Galladay from Detroit, but we'll get into that a little later. But at this point right now, just Falcons fans, trust the system. Trust the new staff. Hopefully it seems like they are changing the culture here and they're going to get some things. I'll tell you the biggest thing, you know, obviously our secondary, but we've got to find a running back. The Falcons have been, I think they've averaged under 100 yards on the season for about the past three seasons now. Yeah. And if, if, we know, if we know anything, and that's why everybody's talking about, you know, June Jones is like, hey, the Bears would be a good fit. But then he goes on to say that Ryan, and I've always said this, you know this, has been good despite the Falcons. He, he was good on a bad team. Well, guess what? If you give him a more cohesive offensive line that gives him protection and give him a better run game, he'll flourish. Well, the other point that needs to be made is a better run game probably prevents a lot of those snatch defeat from the jaws of victory type losses because you can possess the ball and you can chew up time and you can put teams away by grinding them into submission running the football couple things to note. It is possible they'll restructure some existing deals. The contracts of Jake Matthews, the left tackle, Deion Jones, of course, and also Grady Jarrett would seemingly be good targets to go to and convert some of that cap money into signing bonus money. They're basically just, you know, moving deck chairs around on the Titanic, so to speak. But those would be three guys to watch in terms of a restructure because of what their current deals look like. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell you what, man, if I was a professional athlete these days, I would be all for restructuring every year and I would start putting some money away on the back end. Kind of like these professional baseball <laughs> yeah, players. Bobby you know, they, Bonilla. Yeah, you know, why not? July the first. You know, say, hey, you know, take take <laughs> two million or five million or whatever off my deal, slide it onto the back end, and the day I retire, cut me a check every season for seven hundred and fifty grand or whatever. That's just an arbitrary number I threw out there, but why not? Think about your playing career, you know. Think about what's going to happen after football. And, hey, wow, I played 16 seasons in the NFL, and I sure am glad I put a lot of that dough on the back end because now I'm retired. And I think that's a big mistake that players make when they're young and they have all this cash and they don't realize, well, okay, now I've bought the house, but now I have to operate the house. I've got electric. I've got heating and air. And I've some of these mansions around Atlanta, and I was for one in particular, Evander Holyfield's old mansion was bought by a rap impresario named Rick Ross, and it cost him like seventeen thousand dollars a year just for the electricity bill. Wow! 
They don't think about this stuff. They, yeah. they buy all these boats and everything, and they don't think about the cost of upkeeping it. And then they kind of learn as they get older, like, oh, crap, you know, yeah, I got a lot of money, but I'm not thinking about what I'm putting my money into. So. Oftentimes, too, these guys are surrounded by all their buddies from youth and or college, mm-hmm. and they put those guys on their respective payrolls in terms of, you know, handlers or whatever words you want to use, you know, security, and that costs you money. I mean, there's a reason a lot of these guys end up broke down the road and have big problems despite all the money that they've made. Well, back to the football side of things specific, let's hear from Terry Fontenot. He talks a little bit right here about the off-season's progress so far. Over the last few weeks in terms of the process, it's been really good getting to know everyone, getting to meet all the new coaches, really the, the different scouts and everybody on the staff, getting to know everybody. And it's really been about dropping all of our egos and really blending philosophy. So we have people from a lot of different places, and we're working hard to adapt and adjust in some different areas. And regardless of how we've been doing things, it's about doing it the right way moving forward. So that's really been the process up to this point. The pro guys are working really hard, getting ready for the free agency process and working with the coaches to get their clear vision. The entire staff was in town, and and that went really well. The scouts are, again, working really hard. Al Smith ran those meetings, and they were really productive, a really productive two weeks. So as we continue to go through the process, we're excited about getting into the Zoom meetings with the players and the pro days and that whole process. A lot of speculation, and I think rightly so. The Falcons will draft a quarterback. And let's face it, if things go according to plan, when's the next time you might draft as high as fourth in the draft? Here is Fontenot on drafting fourth this year. It's a prime spot to be in, being at that number four spot. And there's so many different scenarios. There are going to be some really good players there at four. We can move up and we can move down and acquire more picks. There's just a lot of different scenarios to really go through. So it's a prime spot to be in. It's not somewhere we want to be in very often with this team. So uh, we're going to take advantage of that and we're going to be open to all possibilities. And Fontenot goes on here to talk about, you know, the modern era with the COVID situation still at least lingering, although seemingly progressing and getting better. No combine this year, so the Falcons are relying, as every NFL team is, on pro days and evaluation processes via Zoom, et cetera, individual workouts, things like that. Here's Fontenot on that. We really value pro days. We always have. And access, obviously, is going to be different when you factor in COVID and what we're dealing with there, but getting to see those players in in person is critical, especially this year when you think about some of these players we haven't seen on the grass this entire season when you're talking about the players that opted out. So it's important to get in there, even though you won't be able to put your hands on them like you used to do, or you're not going to have the full access. It's going to be limited, but still it's important to get in those buildings and see those players in person and the Zoom meetings, and we're going through that process, and hey, what's the right way to do it? Because the coaches like to watch film with the players, so we just need to find the most efficient way to do it, but that's going to be really important in this evaluation process. Aside from that number four draft pick in the coming NFL draft in April, of course, we've already addressed it ad nauseum, gave you numbers, everything else, talked about cuts. The salary cap is a 900-pound gorilla in the room. Here is Fontenot on their approach to the cap at this point. We always have all the information. We know where the floor is. We're hoping for the best in terms of what that number is going to end up being. But that's the process we're going through. Like I said, I know Chris and Kirsten are working hard on going through that process and, and just determining all the different options. And we're going to have to really look at that because you have to have a balance. You know, you want to make decisions that are going to help as much as possible this year. But you also have to think about future years and think about 2022 and 2023 and think big picture 
but there's a balance to it because we want to be as competitive as possible now, but we also want to keep the future in mind and make sure we're doing things that we want to have sustained success. That's the goal here. So we have to have all those things in mind. And that is Terry Fontenot talking about the salary cap and other things off season. It's going to be intriguing to see how these guys handle the situation. And oftentimes, you know, you're talking about firing the AV director. I mean, a culture change is what they're really looking for. And that's kind of what that's all about, a culture change. It's not unlike when Alex Anthopoulos came to the Braves and they fired clubhouse guys that had operated the clubhouse operation and the traveling secretary level operations, things like that. Those guys don't have any impact on what the the on-the-field product is, but sometimes in the course of a culture change, there are executives that believe the culture change runs a lot deeper than just players and coaches. Yeah, I guess you could call those guys collateral damage. Guys that's washing the uniforms, like, I don't know, what does he really have to do with the program? Like, how influential can he possibly be? But it does happen. Clubhouse guys that have been there around 16, 17 seasons all of a sudden find themselves without a job, and it sucks. But, you know, when you bring a new GM in, he's inclined to, well, you know, I had a clubhouse guy out in Oakland that I really liked. I'm going to bring him in here. You know, they surround themselves with their own type of people, and I think right now, for me, the biggest thing I'm going to follow with the Falcons is the quarterback position because if I'm not mistaken, we've got one on the yeah. roster right now. Shaw retired, and they cut what they parted ways Benkert. with Benkert, so I don't think there's anybody else in the house. I've heard the name Alex Smith Yeah, kind of rumbled around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he was just cut a couple of days ago by Washington. Going to be interesting to watch for sure as we wind our way toward the beginning of the new league year. We'll be back, of course, with – Edition number 27 of Falcons Flight as that league year kicks off and developments begin to take place in terms of personnel. Right now, we're going to step aside and take a quick time out. On the other side of it, we're going to go a little bit more league-wide with a buddy of mine, Philip B. Wilson, who's been a scribe for a number of years covering the NFL, among other things, the Indianapolis 500. Great guy. Philip B. will join us on the other side of this timeout. Back in a moment. Mr. Hardwood is Atlanta's premier flooring expert, but hardwood is just the beginning. Mr. Hardwood also installs laminate, tile, vinyl, carpet, and more. Your home is likely your biggest investment. Not only can you enhance its value with beautiful new floors, but our lifetime transferable warranty will enhance the value even more. If you stand on it, Mr. Hardwood stands behind it. Mr. Hardwood is committed to setting the industry standard for all your uniquely designed and professionally installed flooring solutions. Our number one goal is to exceed our customers' needs by providing value, quality, and exceptional service even after the sale. We take great pride in high-quality craftsmanship and integrity and are not satisfied until we have exceeded your expectations. Mr. Hardwood, Atlanta's flooring experts. To set up your free consultation, call Mr. Hardwood today at 770-318-8880 or go to MrHardwoodInc.com. Like in football, whether it's in business, recreation, or life, you need a game plan. Is your computer running slow? Is it infected with viruses or malware? Maybe you're a gamer and really want a custom-built computer specifically for gaming. Perhaps like us, you want a lightning-fast, state-of-the-art, solid-state drive to replace that clunky, old-school one in your machine. Your game plan for any of this should be Computers Plus. A lot of the components we use to produce and bring you Falcon's Flight have been upgraded or provided by Computers Plus. 
Computers Plus is located in Ackworth, Georgia at 3330 Cobb Parkway Northwest, Suite 154. But wherever you are, they can help. Stop in and see them. They also feature a full line of accessories and refurbished equipment. Give them a call today at 770-693-0769 or check them out at computersplususa.com. You'll be glad you did. It is Falcons Flight Edition number 26. Brian Giffen with Robert Taylor. And we come your way from the Big Play Media Studios here in the exotic locale of Powder Springs, Georgia. Glad to have you with us, and we appreciate you joining us every week. We also remind you that Falcon's Flight is a presentation of Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. Do you believe? We certainly do. Joining us now to talk NFL in general, an old friend, Philip B. Wilson, who spent many years with the Indianapolis Star and has written for a number of various online and digital publications. Philip, it's great to have you on board. And obviously the Colts, who you've covered several years, that were at the forefront of a lot of this quarterback movement in the offseason with the deal with Philadelphia to acquire Carson Wentz. What are your thoughts on that deal? Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It Nice to see both you guys, talk to both you guys. Interesting thing I read when I was dissecting all the Wentz stuff. You know, first of all, to answer your question, the succinct answer is my gut has told me from the beginning that this is going to happen because of his history with Frank Reich, uh, because of familiarity. And the question I had, a different question than what I had about Philip Rivers a year ago, was Wentz damaged psychologically. I mean, you know, when I saw an offense that didn't have enough weapons, an offensive line that got him sacked 40 some odd times and hit 70 more times after that, he didn't have time to throw. He got abused and became made the scapegoat. And remember, he didn't start what last three or four games or whatever when they made him the scapegoat. I don't know what Doug Peterson's problem was, but I thought they clearly misused him after giving him a ton of money just, what, two years earlier or a year earlier. So something didn't add up there, and when you see some of his throws, you think he's still got a lot of ability. So is Frank Reich the quarterback whisperer? Well, you certainly should get paid extra for having to deal with a different quarterback every year. If you look back, he's had Andrew Lux, Kobe Brissett, Philip Rivers, and now Carson Wentz. It's just uh, been a carousel there. So if you're a Colts fan, you should have reason to believe in Frank. I understand some of the criticism that Wentz made a lot of bad throws and was shaky, but I still think he's young enough. And I like the idea of having a guy who is in his prime, who has something to prove, who has an edge, a chip on his shoulder. And behind this offensive line, if they fix left tackle, presuming Chris Power fixed left tackle. I think Wentz can bounce back. I will tell you guys this. I had more reservations about Philip Rivers a year ago after watching all 20 of his interceptions. And even though the Colts never agreed with this, clearly obvious Rivers lacked arm strength. He didn't have the same arm strength. But what I learned from watching Philip was there's still something he said for being older and smarter and wiser and getting rid of the ball quickly and accurately. And he managed to have an okay season, a decent season for him, a good bounce 
bounce back season from 20 interceptions, and the Colts were one possession away from beating Buffalo. They're down a field goal in the playoffs. So Rivers had a good year, maybe not great enough to get re-signed, or in this case, they said he retired. I wondered about that. But I have more of a positive feeling about Wentz because I think there's a higher ceiling. I think his arrow can trend upward, whereas I think Rivers has topped out, and I didn't see how it was going to get better with age. So that's the long-winded answer, but I'm certainly understanding of why some are skeptical of the Colts taking on, I think it's at least $46 million in two years, yeah. $23 million a year. I certainly understand why some would be skeptical of the move. The question I would have for you, I know we're going to get to some league stuff, but since we're on the Colts, I saw a little blurb not too long ago, and I mentioned it to Brian. Can you lend anything to this? Is a name that I've heard that said he may want to come back and try to give it another whirl is Andrew Luck. Well, we always think about Andrew here in Indy every offseason, and I think we've stopped asking Chris Ballard about it, and he's reassured that Andrew Luck is retired anytime someone dares to bring it up. Mr. Ursay, when he talks to us, it seems like he brings up luck if he's not asked about it. I get the feeling based on not what they say, but on the fact that the topic is broached. I think the Colts would love it if Vanderluck came back, but I think the Colts are convinced that he's not going to come back. The players I've read or heard from that know him well, they say retirement agrees with him and there's no looking back. So I would be shocked if he came back and believe me, I'd love to see it because in the last 10 years, there's probably not a player wearing a Colts uniform that I respected more. One last thing on the horseshoes. In the case of Carson Wentz, he comes to a situation where he does have a better offensive line. He does have an effective running game questions at the moment about the targets he has to throw to but he also has a good defense on the other side of the ball where he's not going to have to go out and put up 45 50 points a game to win and probably the biggest intangible for me is a lot less toxic environment in terms of the fan base and apparently what he had with his head coach and Doug Peterson yeah no question those are all positive so really seriously if you had the old chalkboard or if you're doing it on a computer, I guess you could do it in some fancy little program. And you listed the pros and the cons. The pros are so much more weighted than the cons. I mean, there's so many more of them, I guess I'm just saying. They're going to do something at left tackle. Yeah, I've heard Trent Williams mentioned a couple of times. Yeah, Trent would cost an awful lot. They'd have to pay a lot for him. Let's just say that they brought a guy in off the street to play the last week. And he got the job done. I'm not devaluing the position. It's very important. I think it's priority number one. But everybody else is intact. And I think the Colts will be, that line will be better than what Wentz has had in a while, if possibly his career. And Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines, that really seemed to click as the season went along. Taylor in the second half was as good as anybody at running back. And wide receiver, as you mentioned, that's the biggest question mark. They'll bring Zach Pascal back because he does so many good things other than catching the ball. Great blocker. And he really is a leader, a quiet leader. Michael Pittman Jr.'s arrow is going up without the leg compartment, leg syndrome surgery, emergency surgery last year. He was railed by for three or four weeks. Without that, I think we would have seen a lot more. So I like him. I don't trust Paris Campbell. I'm a Buckeye at heart. I love the Buckeyes. But I see these guys at Ohio State in college, and I'm sitting here in the stadium, and they go to the NFL. They suck to the Colts, and I'm just, I don't trust him. If Paris can stay healthy, that'd be a miracle. He's got great talent, great speed. I don't trust him. And therein lies the problem. You have to sign another wide receiver. 
if T.Y. Hilton finds out in the open market that he's not worth as much as he thinks and settles for whatever the Colts are willing to pay him, he can come back and he can be a valuable contributor, but he's not a number one anymore. He's not the go-to guy that everybody remembers him as, commanding $14 million a year. So they have to upgrade wide receiver a little bit. But they do have Jack Doyle, a great tight end. I like Mo Cox as well. And the defense has got some parts need to be filled out too. But the defense of the Forest Buckner and Darius Leonard and Kenny Moore is pretty good. Just pretty good cornerstone. So as you pointed out, there are a lot of good positives here. There are a lot of really noteworthy positives, I mean. There are a lot of really good things here that suggest that Wentz has got the atmosphere to thrive in. And the Sharks won't circle and see blood in the water before the season starts like they would in Philly. To pull the lens back a little bit and just kind of talk NFL as a whole, it's no secret that over the last several seasons, and you could maybe go back as far as five seasons, the viewership has dwindled, TV ratings are down, obviously attendance is down because of COVID, but I think maybe it might have been even pre-COVID. But what do you see as maybe a potential solution is kind of getting the NFL back on track as far as ratings and viewership goes? And some of these fans that have been kind of soured to the game because all the political circus, what do you see as a potential solution to try to bring some people back into the fold and get these numbers back up and get more people back involved in the NFL and in the game? Well, first of all, let's be clear and honest. There are TV deals being negotiated that are going to pay the NFL so much money that when people write about how things have dropped off or things aren't the same, it's all relative in the context of we're still talking about the most successful sports enterprise or business in the world, I think. People might argue soccer overseas or whatever, but for as much money as they pay to televise games, as long as you have that, and I saw a tweet the other day that suggested that's why Jerry Jones forked out so much money for Dak Prescott, because he knows the TV contract money's coming and he's going to be able to afford to pay or spend whatever he wants, and that's Jerry Jones for you. So I never get overly concerned that there's anything terminal associated with the cash cow that is the NFL. The biggest key, in my mind, would be to get the fans back in the stands. But I'm not sure how quickly you can do that. That's the biggest difference. You get fans in the stands, and a lot of the interest and a lot of that mojo comes back. It becomes an event more. It's, as opposed to the antiseptic watching on TV and just artificial enhancement, I guess, if you will, the way they televise it. I understand why some fans are put off. I do. I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all. But it's still a game that I enjoy watching, and maybe at some point you think, how much higher can they go, and the only way is down. I know that's not proper business speak, and that's not how the NFL would ever accept or look at it, but they're still grabbing the biggest piece of the pie in this country, and I've heard people say, oh, the NFL's dying and it's only a matter of time and this is going to, I'm thinking, well, I don't see that. That's the farthest thing from my mind. If they take a hit financially, okay. But the fat cats that on these teams, they're rich and they keep getting richer and they've got the commissioner that takes care of them. And uh, he makes damn sure that the business still generates even during a pandemic. I mean, if anything, I'm probably less likely to doubt the machine after they pulled off a season that I didn't think was possible. I was quite candid in May that I didn't think they could do this. That wasn't worth the risk and didn't see how they could get through a season and damn if they didn't do it. So maybe that's the lesson here to be learned from critics and doubters. You doubt these guys, but somehow the NFL endures 
And in my lifetime, I don't think it's going to stop. I think the machine's going to keep rolling. You're right, though. There have been some speed bumps. And you wonder how much of that is pandemic, how much of that is just general apathy. And I know a lot of people that I can say, well, I just lost my job and I won't be able to go to games this year. And a couple of people have said, well, I'd go for free, man. You're so lucky. And it kind of reminds me, there's a lot of people out there who can never afford to go to a game. And that kind of bums me out that the NFL has become almost unaffordable. You just can't get in unless you make a ton. I don't know if unaffordable is the word. That's the word I'm looking for. But you get the point. Overpriced? Uh, yeah, overpriced. You think about how much it costs. And you, well, yeah, it's a thrill, but, you know, my goodness. They hit my wife up. She used to be a former season ticket holder, and they hit her up with renewal offers every year. They send her a letter and ask her if she wants to get back on the list or whatever, and she can afford it. I mean, she affords me, but, but she says, no, it's not enough for anymore. When they wasted Andrew Luck's career, or at least they shortened it, and he walked away, I think the dagger has not been extracted from her since then. And I know a lot of fans feel the same way. And I just don't know that she can care about it as much as she once did in the Peyton Manning glory years. Interesting way to test the waters of fans when you have a wife that was one. And then you have a lot of friends and family who chime in and give you their two cents. And some of them are pretty well informed. And again, most of those people, I say most of them that I know, they can't afford to go. And that's kind of sad. If it's such a great game, it's a thrill. That to me is a problem that will exist probably and, and keep getting worse. This is using my rant in preseason when they charge full price for preseason games. Yeah. I go on that rant once a year. Last year, the NFL proved me wrong. So I'm hesitant to doubt that they can't bounce back from whatever's ailing it right now. Philip, when you look at this offseason, you know, the other quarterback trade was the golf to Detroit and Stafford to L.A. But the thing I want to address with you is the situation with Russell Wilson as it stands right now, where it looks as though between he and the Seahawks somehow there's enough disagreement about the direction of the franchise, how the plays are called, all of that. Are we seeing this potentially morph into kind of what the NBA has where the star players get to dictate a lot of what's going on? If so, I don't think that's a good thing for the game. Yeah, there are two cases right now that fairly illustrate your point. You mentioned Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, the other one. I'm much more convinced that Deshaun Watson will sit out all year to make his point just because of how badly the Texans have been run. They've paid him well already. And somebody, I think, tweeted out that if he sat out a year with all the fines accrued, he had to pay $20 million. Well, they've already given him a chunk on the contract he signed a year ago or so. And he's willing to do that to force their hand. And I hear you. That's leverage that very few players have. But in Deshaun Watson's case, I can't blame him. He had a hell of a year this year. He had an incredible year this year. I remember watching him the two games against the Colts, and I saw him in a few others, but I gave away a deeper appreciation for how good he is and how bad that team was. And he still damn near beat the Colts both times. You know, a fumble in the end zone here at Indy, and then a fumble down there on a bad snap you know, inside the five or whatever. They were in position to win both times. So that's one case. Russell Wilson is something different. Russell's whining and griping, rightfully so, mind you, that his offensive line sucks. He's not saying it like that, but he's basically saying, I need 
to be better protected. I'm tired of having to scramble, run for my life. And, you know, he's definitely more over the top in what he wants or how he's disgruntled. I don't think Seattle will ever trade him because Russell, in the end, will come off his high horse and come back, you know, play football. You know, whereas Deshaun, I don't think he's going to. Not until he's ready. Not until the Texans give him what he wants. And that's a ticket out of town. I'd be shocked if Deshaun blinked first. But you're right. I mean, part of the reason I liked the NFL was you didn't have a lot of the stuff you had in the NBA. You didn't have a lot of guys doing that. And yet, we've got two cases now where clearly an indication of players using leverage they think they have or leverage they're convinced that they have and trying to impact how the team is run and done. And fundamentally, it's a bad situation because that's not the way it works. I don't care how great of a team or how great of a player the guy is. Yeah, Peyton Manning can influence the Colts' decision in the draft. I remember when they cut Brandon Stokely and Peyton said to Bill Polian, fine, you're going to cut Brandon. I want a slot receiver. You better go out and give me another one. And that's they drafted Anthony Gonzalez right after that. You could say, and Bill Polian would never admit it because he never missed anything he's asked for on the point, but you could say that Peyton Manning influenced that decision. And I think there's something to be said for one to make your most important player happy. And I get that. But publicly taking it out there, that's a real divisive thing for a team. And no matter how much support they have from others, there's a team paying them a lot of money to be the leaders. And Russell Wilson's case especially, hey, we hear you. We're going to try and address your concerns. We want what's best for you because you at your best makes us better. But you're going to go out there and rip us or at least infer that we're idiots. Well, there should be ramifications to that no matter how great of a player you are. And maybe we don't see those now, but maybe down the road, Russell Wilson starts slipping. Maybe they'll be quicker to pull the trigger on getting rid of him because they have long memories for this kind of stuff. But for now, he's such a great player. I don't see him moving anywhere and again i could be wrong on deshaun watson but he's been paid enough money to where he can stand and he can dig himself in and i don't see him budging and if it wasn't for the fact that texans have been so bad and bill o'brien screwed up so much it goes beyond trading deandre hopkins for nothing he was terrible as a general manager if it wasn't so bad i would criticize deshaun watson but for some reason as a human being if I were Deshaun Watson, I know I'd feel the same way right now. Philip, in closing, you've had a long career. And in addition to the NFL, you've covered the NBA some. You also covered the Indianapolis 500 for a number of years. You and I met way back in the 90s in AAA baseball in Indianapolis. Could you dig what are your best couple of highlights? You wrote a book about the Peyton Manning era, the year that they won the Super Bowl, that era anyway. Could you offer up a couple of highlights from all these experiences? Yeah. Sure. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm just bragging, but I alluded to earlier, I'm an unemployed journalist at the moment. I didn't have my contract renewed by Sports Illustrated, which on the surface sounds like I'm either washed up or due for retirement or I didn't do my job well. And none of that is true. I'm 56. I've still got a fire in my belly. And if anybody's listened to anything I've said on here, I've still got a little bit of a sharp edge to me. I do have knowledge. I'm not going to say I'm the smartest bulb. But I do have a lot of experience and knowledge on different sports. You know, I'll cover both the men's and women's Big Ten tournaments the next couple of days for Associated Press, the next three days actually, and be helping with their coverage on the NCAA tournament here in the I've covered eight Final Fours in my career. I've covered twenty four Indy five hundreds, three Super Bowls, 
because the Colts were into it, and then they had the one here in Indy. Things that stand out, the first thing I think of is getting to know some of the drivers so well and being employed by Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IndyCar. That's been a thrill to see some guys realize their dreams. Simon Pagano giving his mom a kiss and a hug in victory lane after her son won the 500 and seeing how much joy was in her face because he's from France and I met her when he won the series championship and we had some long talks. I even did an interview with her over the phone. We became Facebook friends, Sylvie and I, Sylvie Pagano and I. You develop these little bonds at those memorable moments in victory lane and IMS and seeing a mom and how proud she is and knowing what she instilled in her son to help make him what he was or what he is. The interview with Simon was anticlimactic because I already had the great background insight into how she mentally prepared him to be a champion with all she was from and what she was into, the power of positive thinking, yoga, and all these things she did. So you wouldn't think of that as a highlight, but there's a personal element to seeing something like that. The most obvious moment that people can relate to is Super Bowl 41 being in the locker room in Miami and Bob Sanders. I walk in the locker room right after Bob Sanders and he's holding the Vince Lombardi trophy like it was a loaf of bread, just walking in like nonchalant with a <laughs> silver chalice. And I stood there talking to him for a moment. The trophy's right in front of me. And it wasn't until later that I thought about it. I was thinking about the job and thinking about the adrenaline rush of covering a team that won the Super Bowl. And I never thought of myself and thought, hey, Bob, do you let me hold that for a second? <laughs> And later I thought of that. I mean, somebody brought it up where I thought, I could have asked Bob Sanders, hey, let me hold that trophy just for a second, you know? And he would have done it because I had talked to Bob a lot, especially during the playoff run when he was a badass. And you go from that moment, fast forward a few more seconds later, and I'm talking to Jim Ursay, the owner, what a poetic soul he has and how he's got a rhythm to his life. I was on my game. I wanted to be on my game for the most important game of my life, and I was on it. And Jimmy gave me money quotes. In a few seconds after the interview, he's screaming to everybody and holding that trophy up about 10 feet away or 5 feet away. Right here. Right here. You know, and holding <laughs> that trophy up in the locker room. And the locker room's going nuts. And I'm like, like, I think I've described it before. It's like a Hitchcock movie moment where you feel like the background just goes away. And you're like, all you're focused on is that trophy and that man. And it's such a din. And so... The reason I mentioned my recent unfortunate events of being unemployed is if I never have another job, Gip, if I never do another thing, I'm in a man cave surrounded by pictures and autographs and a signed number 20 Colts jersey by Mr. Ursay with my Wilson nameplate on there and, and appreciation of my 20 years at the Indianapolis Star. If I never do another thing, I haven't been cheated. Yeah. I got to go to the games that those people that I mentioned can't afford to go to, and I went to them for free, and they fed me. And I got to know these people. You know, 24 Indy 500s. I mean, think about all the races I've seen. Oh, yeah. And being on the payroll, now is that a Colts-Bengals game covering it for the Star in Cincinnati the day that Dan Weldon was killed in Las Vegas, and I wept in the press box. I sat there and wept about a guy that I interviewed with every year who thought the Indianapolis 500 was the greatest thing in the world. I wept for a guy that, again, they tell you, you just need a job, don't throw yourself into it. But it does get personal, and you do care. Yeah, Not about the outcome necessarily, but about developing relationships and thinking about what a fun light that have been extinguished. And those are moments, from Merce to Weldon to Simon Pagano, you never forget, you feel grateful for. 
And you tell yourself the whole time that you got to do all this and enjoy all this. And what you really excelled at was sharing that with fans and readers. Because sometime early in your life, you had an editor that convinced you that your real boss wasn't her or him. Your real boss is the public. Your real boss was the folks that read your stuff. And I think I have enough people out there that have enjoyed reading my stuff. I know the reaction to my news recently was overwhelming and flattering. A lot of people disappointed that I wasn't going to be working for SI anymore. But hey, it was a bad situation. That's all I'll say. There was so much more I wanted to share about it. And I've had a couple of friends in the business say I'm better off being on my own because it was a bad situation. So, you know, I need to find something else so I can make those readers happy. But like I said before, gift this last part, it's all sounded real selfish and maybe too I, me centric. But I don't feel like I've been cheated in any way, shape or form. I'm not quite Lou Gehrig standing there, luckiest man on the face of the earth with ALS. My grandma died ALS. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. But I feel pretty damn lucky. And that's probably helped me more than anything, aside from the encouragement from people and people like you reaching out and saying, hey, you want to do a podcast? Sure, great, you know? Yeah. I did another one last week, and the response was incredible. And there were a lot of people in chat and then tweeting or streaming on social media saying, boy, you got to have a fan all the time. He's really great. Well, yeah, I've got a face for radio, and I, <laughs> I've had TV and radio experience for a long time. Yep. I mean. There was a time when I was on ESPN, you know, and before I told them to stick it because they never paid me anything. I never got a dime for all the times I was on ESPN. And that includes being on Outside the Lines with Bob Lee right after they beat New England the Monday after when I knew they were going to the Super Bowl. And I still get needled by those in my family because I wore like a flowered shirt (laughs) for the studio interview. For this remote studio interview, I had a flowered shirt on. I was going to Miami for Super Bowl. I was happy, you know. Yeah. I didn't look all businesslike. All that stuff, man, can't replace it, you know. Bob Lee asked me on Outside the Line, and they warned me before. They, they said Bob Lee had these cues. So if he said, uh-huh, uh-huh, that was his cue to tell you to wrap the answer up. So maybe you can do these cues if you do me again or you have somebody else. They'll be the gift cues, you know. <laughs> if gift says, uh-huh, uh-huh. That means you got to wrap it up. Uh-huh, uh-huh, you know. And, and, and he said, if Bob Lee says in a word, only say one word. He doesn't want you to elaborate. And sure as shit, they said, uh-huh, uh-huh. I said, okay, so I just wrapped it right up, whatever changing I was on. And then at the end, well, Phil, in a word, describe the atmosphere in Indianapolis right now. And I said, indescribable, Bob. Stick with the eye words. You know, and I just, that's all I said. Just in a word, you know, so. I would say indescribable would be an F word you use to describe my career and what I've experienced and how it's been rewarding and fun to connect with people and hope to do more of it in the future. Philip, your work has always been appreciated by me in particular, regardless of who you've done it for. We really appreciate you taking some time to give us some thoughts around the league and, of course, on the Wentz situation and some of the other quarterback-related issues in the league. And, gosh, you got through all those highlights and never mentioned Dave Miley once. Color me shocked. No, I'm goofing with you, man. (laughs) Good old Dave. Yeah. I remember that. I got along with Dave pretty well, but I did kick him off one time. I forget <laughs> the player. I think it was Carlos Bayerga. Yeah, it might have been. Bayerga was with the Indians for a short time, yeah. and I went in there to the room, and I said, I'm concerned that the players are running amok in your locker room, and I had already needled him about <laughs> some of the crap I got from him. 
And I was too thin-skinned. I didn't realize baseball is just a little tougher brood. You know, they like to chirp and run their mouths a lot of yeah. guys. And Smiley got so pissed, he smashed the pen holder off, <laughs> off his desk and stood up. And then he simmered down, and I wasn't phased. I said, man, the guys are barking at me every day. And they're just needling and whatever. That's just the way they were. But I got along with Dave pretty well other than that. And he's pretty easy going. And Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember when we looked up at Cincinnati when he was the manager there and reconnected a little bit. It was good to see him there. And you know, he had a good run. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Philip, we greatly appreciate it, man. Best of luck to you. And obviously, we'll uh, look forward down the road to potentially having you on again if you're game. Absolutely. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you much. Philip B. Wilson, our guest, longtime sports writer, columnist, wrote for the Indianapolis Star, also wrote for Sports Illustrated, as you heard him say, and various other digital and paper publications over the years, and a real insider from the sports world, be it the NFL, worked around there and covered the NBA, as you heard him talk about the NCAA tournament and college basketball and the like. But good guy, good friend, and it's good to get his insights as we move along in edition 26 of Falcon's Flight. It is time now for us to take a break. You thought we never would, didn't you? About time for us to take a break. Back with more after this. You're listening to Falcon's Flight, a presentation of Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. Do you believe? We certainly do. Swirlies are coming your way right after this time out. Mr. Hardwood is Atlanta's premier flooring expert, but Hardwood is just the beginning. Mr. Hardwood also installs laminate, tile, vinyl, carpet, and more. Your home is likely your biggest investment. Not only can you enhance its value with beautiful new floors, but our lifetime transferable warranty will enhance the value even more. If you stand on it, Mr. Hardwood stands behind it. Mr. Hardwood is committed to setting the industry standard for all your uniquely designed and professionally installed flooring solutions. Our number one goal is to exceed our customers' needs by providing value, quality, and exceptional service even after the sale. We take great pride in high-quality craftsmanship and integrity and are not satisfied until we have exceeded your expectations. Mr. Hardwood, Atlanta's flooring experts. To set up your free consultation, call Mr. Hardwood today at 770-318-8880 or go to mrhardwoodinc.com. Like in football, whether it's in business, recreation, or life, you need a game plan. Is your computer running slow? Is it infected with viruses or malware? Maybe you're a gamer and really want a custom-built computer specifically for gaming. Perhaps like us, you want a lightning-fast, state-of-the-art, solid-state drive to replace that clunky, old-school one in your machine. Your game plan for any of this should be Computers Plus. A lot of the components we use to produce and bring you Falcon's Flight have been upgraded or provided by Computers Plus. Computers Plus is located in Ackworth, Georgia at 3330 Cobb Parkway Northwest, Suite 154. But wherever you are, they can help. Stop in and see them. They also feature a full line of accessories and refurbished equipment. Give them a call today at 770-693-0769 or check them out at computersplususa.com. You'll be glad you did. This is Falcon's Flight. It is also edition number 26 of Believe in Falcon's Flight. Brian Giffen with Robert Taylor and Falcon's Flight is a presentation of Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. Do you believe 
Both of us most certainly do, as you hear texts and whatnot <laughs> going off in the background. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a fast moving environment that we have going here, and stuff like that happens. So, as it is though. We look ahead now to the beginning of that league year. As we talked about, that is right around the corner. That's St. Patrick's Day, and that will happen one week from the day today that we're recording this program. So the league year about to start, free agency signings. There will be player movement in mass, I predict. How much of it's here? Certainly we'll wait and find out, but trades, there are all kinds of things that can happen, and a lot of those things are in the offing. And, of course, not too far beyond that, Robert, you have a draft approaching, and the NFL league year begins on March the 17th. So fasten the seatbelt. It's about time to rock and roll and go into overdrive for whatever it's going to look like in 2021. Yeah, as like I said, we're going to blink, and there's going to be mini camps going on. So uh, fun time. The offseason is always fun no matter what sport it is, really, to follow not just your team, but just look around the league and see who's going where and kind of uh, keep pace with how fast the NFL moves. And it does move at a fast pace. And I'm positive for the future. Spring is arriving. We're ditching the winter doldrums. And I'm excited for what 2021 is going to bring us. It looks like maybe I say with a little trepidation that we're getting on the other side of COVID and maybe returning back to some sense of normalcy. So we'll just see, man, one day at a time. That's a valuable lesson I've learned lately. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, as we wind up edition number 26 of the program, I am happy to say that I have you here and I don't have to try to imitate you. So just let me know here. What time is it? It is good to be back and it is good to say one more time again after a little delay in my appearances, but it is swirly time, swirly time, swirly time. Uh. The Falcons flight crew is intolerant of Jack Azaray. It is. There is a special place where morons are plunged headlong into a blue vortex of irony. They are. Where imbeciles are irrigated, dumbasses are drenched, and abject idiocy rinsed away. Where pompous assery comes face to face with porcelain. Where chlorine, tidy bowl, and bleach administer swift, swirling justice. This is our Game of Thrones, where mindsets and hairstyles are forever altered. It is the Falcon's Flight Swirly segment. Now let's get this party started. Bum, 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 bum. Maybe you do, man. I, I never get tired of this. No, ne- never. It seems like we have just troves and troves and and some steaming piles of perfect candidates for this. Uh, an ocean of idiocy is yeah. what I would say. It's out there. We could do a whole show, and we've talked about yeah. this before. We could do a whole show just swirling some fools. Well, I'll lead this off, and today we're going to go across the pond to Great Britain, where police in Britain, conveniently, say they received a suspicious call related to a burglary last Wednesday one that came from the unsuspecting burglars themselves. Police say one of the two men later arrested had butt-dialed 999, which is the emergency number in the UK, the 911 of Great Britain, allowing authorities to listen in as the crime was in progress. You can't make this up. This is reported in The Guardian. The call detailed all of their antics up to the point of hearing our patrols arrive to arrest them. 
<laughs> That's a hell of an archive. Chief Inspector John Owen of the Staffordshire Police wrote in a tweet, which included a clip of the ill-fated burglars from Home Alone. I think we have just arrested the world's unluckiest burglars, Owen wrote. It's a bum rap, a user added, per, yeah. the, <laughs> per the BBC. The two men from Stoke-on-Trent, aged 49 and 42, remained in custody as of last Thursday, per the Stoke Sentinel. Oh, man. I don't know where else to go, so I'm just going to say, hey, burglars, butt dial this. Get over here. That's it, boy. Get in there nice And don't steal the urinal, okay? You know how they say I, I got my ass in trouble? Or his ass literally <laughs> got him in trouble. Nobody in the bathroom for about 35, 45 minutes. Somebody opened the window. You see the peanut? Dead giveaway. And, uh, you know, once again, I'm hard-pressed to determine which was the peanut. I think it's safe to say they both were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Over to you. Well, I'm going to take a, just a short second real quick okay. before I do this, and it's going to be really quick. I just want to talk about mental health for a second. I want to tell everybody out there it's been a tough year on a lot of us, and if you're having trouble in any way, please reach out. Please say something and know that it's okay to not be okay. This past week or so, and maybe a little before that, I struggled with some anxiety and some stress, and like it took its toll on me. You saw it firsthand. And I definitely was coming from an environment where it wasn't really talked about that much or it wasn't really okay. You know, you just kind of got to get up, toughen up, you know, that kind of mentality. But everybody out there, the toughest guy in the room, if you're listening, I'm telling you, Take care of yourself mentally. It goes a long way. It's pretty shocking when you struggle in that department, and I never had. So I'm just saying, guys and ladies, everyone out there, there is help available. There's things you can do that don't cost a lot of money and or are free. So everybody, hey, man, COVID's been tough. I get it. Boy, do I get it. So take care of yourselves out there, and remember to speak up and say something. There is someone there to listen. There's someone there to help. So just my little blurb there. But we get a visit from Florida, man. I don't think he's been on the show for wow. quite a while. We haven't done one, but call your county. So that's Naples, the area. So a Florida man who nearly hit a gas pump pulled out a package of dank gummies instead of his driver's <laughs> license to show a deputy who was trying to help him, according to the Collier County Sheriff's Office. Deputies say they were called to a gas station on Pine Ridge Road in Naples shortly before midnight on March the 1st because witnesses said a suspicious man had nearly hit a gas pump and appeared to be under the influence. Records show that Demacio Lopez saw the deputy and immediately asked for help calling AAA because his car wouldn't start, even though the keys were not in the ignition at the time. Lopez said he didn't have the keys to the vehicle, but then rummaged through his pockets and pulled out the keys, according to the report. <laughs> Deputies then asked Lopez for his driver's license, so he started rifling through his pockets again, this time pulling out a small green package labeled Dank Gummies with Cannabis Infused written on it as well. Records show... <laughs> Deputies asked Lopez if, you know, hey, are, are these THC gummies? These are the real deal? And he said, no, it's just regular candy. But when he handed over the package, the deputy saw that it was labeled as containing 500 milligrams of THC. <laughs> okay. Deputies said Dude. Lopez also had a package of medicated nerd ropes that contained 400 milligrams <laughs> of THC per rope. And Lopez claimed his girlfriend had a medical marijuana card due to a cancer diagnosis. Now, they do have medical marijuana in Florida, but I don't think it covers the bag of cocaine they found on him as well. So, <laughs> Oh, my. There Jeez. you go, Demacio. What is it about Florida, man? I, what, what is it about Florida, man? Man. I don't know. But Something in the water. 
Hey, Demacio, how about some swirling blue water for your faceio? Get over here. That's it, boy. Get in there nice and deep. Jail, that is. This water's really blue, man. It feels so good. The reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass. And Demacio rhymes with facio. Yeah. Well, that'll about wrap. Edition number 26, bit of a lengthy one today of Falcon's Flight and a great time had today with Robert Taylor and, of course, Philip B. Wilson joining us, longtime NFL writer, covered auto racing and all kinds of things, a jack of all trades, if you will, among scribes and media types. And Philip has been at this a long time. Great visit by him. We want to thank all of you for dialing this episode up. I shouldn't sound like the 90s dialing it up because that's not what you're doing. But we will be back with another edition of Falcons Flight as the league year gets underway one week from today. And we will have a whole bunch more for you as the Falcons make their moves in preparation now to position themselves for 2021. Thanks again to all of you for punching up this episode. And we will be back one week from today. One last reminder that Falcons Flight is a presentation of Believe Entertainment the number one site for podcast professionals. Do you believe? We certainly do. Like us, share us, rate us, and tell your friends. We're out. Thank you for listening to Falcon's Flight. Tune in throughout the season for updates, insights, and analysis on the Dirty Birds. Falcon's Flight is a production of Believe Entertainment. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.